Before we look at currencies and commodities, Stephen Pritchard, uh, I heard today that mums and dads are actually the biggest lenders of money in this country. Um, I think I think um, it's always been that way, but I think what they're kind of saying that mums and dads are, are tending to lend money these days to 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 children to to buy their um, their first house or whatever. Um, and I think that's probably because a lot of mums and dads have got this superannuation money that they've never had in the past, you know, going back, you know, two or three generations. Um, but what what you need to think about is you you need to even if you're going to lend this money to your children, you need to get it properly documented as a loan. Um, you, you know, the issue becomes that that you know. You lend the money to the child, the child gets a partner, there's some family law or family provision thing down the track, and the money the money that you've lent lent in inverted commas to your child suddenly becomes part of the pooled property and, and disappears to the other half or the ex other half. So, you know, I've actually seen this happen. Mm-hmm. And and what you need to do is when you lend the money to the child, you need to get a proper loan. You don't have to charge interest, but you need to you need to get the loan. Um even better if you can take out a second mortgage on the property that doesn't have to be registered until you need and you need to secure your position and the position of your child because if something goes wrong and the other half gets half the proceeds of your loan or the ex-partner gets half the proceeds of your loan um, the child's not going to want to pay that back yes and they mightn't be able to pay it back and that's going to you know fracture family relationships so so you know first thing you want to lend the child money make sure it's done in a formal document and get your solicitor to 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 draw it up and if possible get a second mortgage on the property so you can avoid the banks as lenders but um if you are well well, what what i think they're they're talking about is most people there's a lot of people who are short of the deposits now because you know it's starting to get significant dollars i mean if you buy a six hundred thousand dollar house you know you need to come up with a hundred and twenty thousand dollars as a deposit so they're going along to mum and dad and you know getting fifty thousand dollars off mum and dad um to give you the deposit so you need to mum and dad needs to secure their positions and look after them look a look after themselves for the for their own benefit and b look after the the child's interests going forward um, and, and see probably ensure harmony in the future going forward. Mm-hmm. So A, you don't have to charge interest. Um, B, you can put it on whatever terms you would like, um, repayable on 30 days notice or something like that, or repayable on a year's notice, whatever you like. And C, I'd suggest to try and take a second mortgage over the property. Sounds good. In the meantime, how's the rest of the finances going as far as commodities? Oh, well, we haven't made much money this week, I don't think. You know, investors in gold, um, we, we were down um, $6.70, an ounce to $1,740. Um, commo- uh, copper price was down uh, 2% to $8,953 a tonne, and the oil price was down half a percent to $97.44 a barrel. Um, US dollar... Um, we were down against the US dollar again this week, which is good for people who have overseas assets, which we're going to talk a bit about in a minute. Mm. Uh, bad for people who want to uh, travel overseas. So we're down to 74.93 US cents to each Australian dollar. Uh, Great British pound, we're up 1.6% to 55.19 
uh, pence. Uh, the New Zealand dollar um, pretty much steady at a dollar seven, and the euro we were up about 0.4 percent against to 60.65 euro cents. I wondered um, whether there might be some difference with the euro exchange, considering you've had President Macron of France here talking about trade and stuff. No, uh, look, if you go back um, to the beginning of uh, the end of March. Um, the euro is 62.43 and now it's 62.65. <laughs> so compa- happened there yet. compared to the US dollar, the US dollar's dropped two cents in that time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's big, big moves in the US dollar, but nothing much against the euro. Um, um, personally, I think the exit from the UK, uh, the exit of of the UK from Euro- from the Europe- mm. European zone will be a plus for our trade. Mm-hmm. Could well be. Yeah, all those markets yeah. that were closed when, like... When they uh, went into the... Yeah, the agricultural, yeah, yeah. particularly agricultural, you know, all the exports that were made of the oranges and the apples and the yes. butter. Yes, um, and the lamb. And, and yes. the lamb that used to go to the UK. Yes. Um, and if I can't see the rest of the Eurozone wanting to continue the subsidies to, to a country that's not in the... In the Eurozone, but time mm. will tell. Time will. Um, are we up to local, locally held stocks? No, no, the no? indexes. Um, the All Ordinaries was up 2.7% on the week, so we're, we're a bit more above 6,000, 6,165. Um, the SP was uh, down 2%, to 2,635, and the UK market was up 1.6% to 7,543. Um, some bit of bit of local investors will be happy this week. Um, BHP was up 1.7% to $31.57. Um, CBA was up 1.4, which surprisingly, to $73.31. <laughs> and uh, NIB was up 2.3 to $5.65. And even Telstra was up 2.5% to $3.19. There you go. They're still over the $3. Still over the $3. Good. Still Good. over the $3. Because you know what they say about a rising tide. And what do they say? A rising tide rises all boats. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> we'll ponder on that one. So, um, well, we think I think about... even AMP was up yesterday. Um, Newcastle, uh, the fuel prices in Newcastle, dollar forty-four point one cents per litre. So you know, no real change from last week. Sydney, a dollar forty-two point nine cents a litre, which is up four point seven cents a litre. Um, so Sydney prices are getting close again, and diesel in Newcastle's a dollar forty-two point nine, which is up one point three cents a litre, and Sydney a uh, dollar forty-one point two, which is up one point six cents a litre. Hello. Hello, Henry. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yes. So uh, <laughs> you're 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 still at Marcus today, and I'm still here at Two New RFM, and yep. uh, Catherine Brenner's no longer at AMP. No, no. Well, that was kind of inevitable, wasn't it? I, you heard it first last week that she'd be gone. Yeah, I think um, it, her position became pretty untenable given what came out of the Royal Commission. Um, she threw the uh, CEO, uh, Craig Mellor, under the bus um, and she uh, followed it a few days later. So she is no longer there. AMP does have uh, some serious cultural issues and not only cultural issues they have some business issues as well clearly the um, i mean it wasn't exactly a, a fantastically firing company even before the royal commission or before we had found out how badly it was uh, run internally um, and um, now it's 
got a lot more issues with a lot of those financial planners who have been the subject of that Royal Commission. All the good ones probably heading for the door and all the bad ones um, probably um, staying there. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, the whole... You know, if the story that's in the financial review over the last couple of days, how she actually got appointed, I mean, that's disgraceful as well. So, yep. you know, it's all from the top of the, you know, it's from the top of the company down. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, I once uh, attended a function, I think it was the AMP's 150th anniversary party, and I was lucky enough to have um, cocktails on the uh, director's club on the top floor overlooking Circular Quay. And I think that kind of says it all, that the directors and senior management have their own club, that they can sit out on the veranda and look out over the world You're from joking. their high towers. and You're uh, joking. Hubris. You're no, joking, aren't you? No, I'm absolutely fair dinkum. Serious as. It was very lush and luxurious. Waiters, um, cocktails, it was lovely. I'm sure it was, and I'm sure all the little investors would like to know they're paying for all of this. Well, I think that's, um, that's part of the hubris, isn't it? You know, mm. there you are with your your big old stately building overlooking Circular Quay with AMP written down the side of it um, and looking over the, um, the hoi polloi, lording ah. it from on high. And you were up there, Henry. I was up there briefly, Stephen. Yes. I was up there briefly, and I was doing a job, and I was being paid by the AMP to do that oh, job. Oh, you weren't a waiter? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I wasn't quite a waiter. I was actually organising their 150th anniversary oh, thing. That's all right. Okay, well, we won't ask how much it costs because everyone will be shocked. Um, and CBA, CBA's APRA is telling them they have to increase their risk management and they've got to employ a, another 800 people. And yep. This is going to crunch the profits, isn't it? It is. I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, it is. I mean, that's, that's the thing. This is going to crunch the profits. But hopefully, um, this is kind of the watershed moment for the banks. And I thought it was instructive that listening to Matt Common, who's the new man in charge, who apparently, if you know where the skeletons are buried, um, that's a good thing. My problem is that he's probably the one that's created some of those skeletons, having been in charge of retail banking for some time and been with CBA for many, many, many years. Um, but he's now the man... Um, I guess, uh, gifted with the, uh, the job of fixing uh, CBA. And I thought it was good that he was printing out the 111-page report um, and um, taking it to the 500 senior executives. That was a bit startling. I have to say that there was 500 people that actually needed to see that report um, and making sure that they read it from cover to cover. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's maybe a sign not sure what. Who, but was, it is the, a, who, who was the report from? Uh, this is the APRA report. This oh, is okay, the scathing okay. APRA, APRA, yeah, APRA report. 111 pages where yeah. they basically tore an absolute strip off CBA for its practices. You know, you have to say that it's not just CBA that's at fault here. This is APRA is, is at fault yes. as well. This yes. is the regulator asleep at the wheel. And the sad fact of life, and um, I may be speaking out of turn, um, and someone from APRA will probably phone me up and get really cranky, um, is that the good people in the world um, tend to go where the money is. They tend to go where they get paid the highest. And if you're any good and you work for APRA, you're going to get pinched by some of the big banks or some of the investment banks to work there. So the people at APRA are probably not the creme de la creme 
of, um, of regulators or lawyers or whatever. Um, so that, that's one of the problems these institutions that are regulating the big banks have, is that how do you retain, if, if, you're, you know, if you're being offered a million bucks to go and work for uh, NAB or CBA or whatever, uh, like someone like Mike Baird, how do you stay in a lowly paid job in government or in, for the regulator if you're any good? Mm. It's the brain drain. Well, of course, the other issue with APRA, and I've, I've seen this, I've seen on the sideline, they, they concentrate on the smaller institutions and they're in there doing them to death with compliance reports. And, and you know, that's not where the real risks are. No, no. You know, well, it was, it wasn't Australia's smallest insurance company that collapsed and caused all the problems. It was Australia's largest insurance company. Yes, and, and you know, when we, when we look back to, um, you know, things like HIH or even Storm Financial during the GFC, you know, a lot of the problems that Storm had were, were foisted on them by, you know, the big banks. CBA. CBA. So, you know, it's, it's just, you get so big, you get so mm-hmm. blasé, you get, you know, mm-hmm. you get impervious to, to um, the rest of the world. You're up there in your ivory tower looking out over the hoi polloi, drinking your cocktails and counting your money. Um, JB Hi-Fi has announced a profit downgrade. When good guys go bad. Yes, that's another that's good saying. I think that's the title. Yes. Um, yeah, JB Hi-Fi not doing so well. I have to say, I, I did get uh, a member um, who emailed me the other day suggesting that uh, things weren't all as good as they seemed. Um, they were saying that um, we, we have uh, guys you know, sent yeah, us yeah. emails and insights from the ground and using Mark 1 eyeball, um, and they were saying that one of the most profitable and busiest stores in the good guys' fleet um, was deserted and empty. Um, and had gone into reverse and we saw the figures then came out a day later and said exactly that that the good guys is not doing very well now they blame blame the weather and i had a big um, discussion on tv yesterday on sky because um, someone said oh the weather's got nothing to do i said don't be silly the weather's got lots to do with it in the summer people buy air conditioners and in the winter they buy heaters and mm-hmm. that's a big driver of yep. foot traffic and people going in to the good guys or places like harvey norman so it does have a big it is a seasonal business and because we've had this extended summer in sydney um, i'd imagine the heaters aren't flying out the door and equally you're not going to be buying an air conditioner in april because you're kind of going well what's the point oh, i have to wait till next summer so it did look as if the good guys is struggling and i have to say if you're buying a business off the founders who've been running the business for donkey's years yeah. um they know everything about it and you don't mm-hmm. um, and there's a reason these guys are selling it to you mm-hmm. and you know you've got to you put in a, a softening housing market where people are not fitting out their brand new flats with plasmas and coffee machines and toasters or, or not cocooning um, because it's not cold enough to cocoon um, you've got a, a recipe for um, a problem yeah, and I was in the JB Hi-Fi store itself up here there two weeks ago and, and I think there was three people in it yeah. And I, I yeah. said to the person at the door, oh, it's not very busy here today, mate. And he said, oh, it's been like that for days. Well, that, the other thing is that, you know, I, I, I mentioned a compact, you know, a DVD player yesterday on telly, and I was poo-pooed. You know, who uses those anymore? And that's, that comes to the core of it as well. Who yeah. uses your DVD player? So, you know, last time I went into JB Hi-Fi, there's an awful lot of DVD box sets and all this sort of yeah. stuff. Nobody buys those anymore. Yeah. They just they just yeah. do it on Netflix, Stan, or iTunes. Yeah, that's right. 
Anyhow, back to some uh, other side of retail who's got the 77th consecutive quarter of same store sales growth. So that's a turnaround. Yeah, Woolies are doing quite well. I've got to say, both, actually, both Woolies and West Farmers, Woolies are hitting uh, some serious highs in terms of their share price. They, they seem to be killing it as far as the Coles versus Woolies war goes. They don't have too many, um, you know, too many flies in the ointment either. The big W seems to be... Uh, it's a bit like turning around the Titanic as it's heading mm. towards the iceberg, but it seems to be improving slightly. Um, and they've um, they've been um, talking up. Uh, camping was surprisingly strong um, in New South Wales. Um, so because um, we had a good Easter again, seasonality coming yeah. into play. But yeah, Woolies Woolies doing well. West Farmers doing well as well, although they've still got that that kind of um, overhang with their own Masters issue in the UK with um, the Bunnings UK. But hasn't really stopped the share price. The share price is back up to forty-four bucks in West Farmers. It bounces between forty bucks and forty-four bucks. So you're kind of getting into um, mm-hmm. sell territory. And, and Woolies, you know, they're twenty, they're nearly twenty-nine dollars. They're going pretty well. So right. it all looks good. And Alinta Energy's made an offer for the Liddell Power Station, the valueless Liddell Power Station. I might point out the valueless. Liddell. Well, AGL yeah. said it's valueless. Well, I, I, everything has a price. Everything has a value. It's just how much it costs you to keep that thing open. Um, you know, it's a bit like my old car. You know, it's, it's got a value, but it's not very much, and it keeps it costing more to keep it on the road. And you get sentimentally attached to it. I don't know whether AGL are um, sentimentally attached to Liddell, um, but um, they have been offered, um, as you say, 250 million bucks. They, they keep turning it down. I don't know whether that's a negotiating tactic, but they certainly have been um, very keen to um, convert Liddell into um, more renewable, and that's um, you know, turning off the coal fire and, and bringing in the renewables there, as that's kind of their, um, their, their plan. So, but it's I mean, all, 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 good, all good for AGL. Like, let's face it, it it's, we shouldn't be relying on coal-fired power stations in, in this, in this um, 21st century. We should be smarter than that, so... AGL have been heading down that, that road for some time and they're certainly sticking to their guns. Oh, it's interesting that AGL only paid a dollar for it, though. Yeah. Yeah. So well. that's $250 million the state left on the table there. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how much they've invested in the thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of maintenance that goes on in these old power stations. I think that's 50 years old, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I drove past it the other day coming down the New England Highway, actually. I was up in Armandale. So, um, all the lights shining. I, I spoke to one of my clients who's an engineer, and he told me if the thing's properly maintained, there's no end use by dates on this. Mm. And the example. Well, that, that, you see, there, there's the key word. Yeah, well, that's right. An example properly. he used, which was interesting. <laughs> the example he used, he said it's just a big steam train, really. And the example yeah. he used was that there's, there's steam engines on the Indian Railway that's still working that go back to the British days. Yeah, well, so, they don't make a lot of use to Stephen. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and um, actually, we're running out of time here. So, so for your daily updates, we can just give Henry. Uh, yep, yep. We've uh, we've by all means, market's booming at the moment. Sixty-one hundred. It's it's yep. extraordinary. We've rallied six percent in a month. Extraordinary. That's despite the Royal Commission and the banks being under a cloud. So all commodities, um, by all means, marketstoday.com.au. Sign up for a two-week free trial and uh, read all about it. It's. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big um, big rocket ship at the moment. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week, Henry. Thanks, Stephen. Cheers. Brian, you've rung in, and uh, your question's about delisted Aussie shares. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, Stephen, um, I've held a company for a number of years. Uh, I don't know if I can yeah, tell you yeah. that. Uh, What's the name of it? Uh, LNG Limited. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Natural Gas Limited. Um, and the majority of the shares that I've bought were were um, up around a dollar and they're down around 40 cents now. So they've, they've been down for a while and a, a lot of shareholders are in the same boat. But uh, with with the company, they've been talking about redomiciling to the US and, and following that delisting from the ASX. And I was just wondering, was, is that going to be hard then to, um, to trade the shares uh, especially if they go up. Um, in my experience, it's very difficult to trade US US um, shares if they if they if they come off the ASX. Somehow you've got to you've got to get a, a broker who's got arrangements with the US, and then you have to have to go through um, a lot more paperwork than you do here. Right. So, yeah, I heard that there's an increased cost in it. Oh, as well. it's far more expensive. It's far more expensive to trade because you you got to get the this, this gold medallion certificate, and it's got to, the certificate's got to go over to the US, and it's just a nightmare. I mean, if anyone right. comes to us, we'll tell them we always try to talk them out of buying US stock. It's very difficult to deal in. UK's all right if they were domiciling in the UK. That's that's reasonably straightforward. There's just a just a bit of a time delay, um, um, and basically similar system to here. Uh, but the U, U, US is very difficult. We find, right. um, except if you if you're using um, one of the online brokers that that have got a custodian system and they they usually charge you for that as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was just um, a, a lot of people were in the same boat where the 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 shares have dropped quite a lot, and they they probably well, well, what, what you need to be doing if there's a lot of people in the same boat, you need to be telling the company, yes, you can redo it domicile in the US, but there's no reason you can't keep a listing here. Um, you, you can yeah. you can be in the US and you can still trade the stock in Australia if they, they can issue a thing called a CDI. Um, and you trade CDIs here instead of the physical stock, but the underlying interest is the same. So there's there's no reason why the company can't reduce domicile in the US, but the stock still be traded in Australia. Yeah, oh, they've said that they'll they'll stay with the ASX for a, a period, but then they're looking at um, a delisting yeah, from the ASX. Your shareholders are the ones who own the company, and if there's all these people, such as you're saying, you need to tell the board you're not going to do it. Yeah, I think the trouble is now that the majority of shareholders are US shareholders, so there's a, there's a lot of people that want it and a lot of Australians that are in, a, in the boat of... of yeah, of, well... Uh, my, my suggestion would be to sell the shares. If, if it's worrying you about trading them in the US, I would sell them now because it yeah. will be difficult. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what I wanted. That, and that's the... That's okay. The Okay, thanks for calling. Thanks Brian. very much, Brian. And um, on Thursday, finance. Well, let's just take a short look at the weather, and we do that for our sponsor, Snap Freeze Air Conditioning. Your Dakin specialists. And uh, today's pretty beautiful and sunny at the moment, twenty-four degrees at Floraville. Back to things financial at this stage, and Stephen Pritchard, we can talk about investing overseas. Um, oh. 
in fact, we're not right at the moment. We're going to go to the phones again. Michael has rung in, and your question is about NCR shares, Michael. Yeah, hi. Yeah, that's correct. I yeah, just wanted to know, what, oh, look, what do we do with them? What, what, what happens? What, what's, the what, what are NCR shares? Oh, sorry. That was that, um, this was the Malcolm McDonald and the Eddie O'B debacle. This was the NCR New Coal Resources. Ah, uh, New Coal Resources. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And they, they took the license off them, and it's just been, you know, it's it's just a, is there, you know, what do you do with them? Well, are, are, they, are they still listed on the stock exchange, or are they suspended? Still, still are. No, they're not suspended at all. Um, and you just you can't get any money for them. That's all. Well, that's what that's what the market is. That's what the market is. I mean, so it's just looking at yeah. supply and demand, yeah, and so, that's one that didn't work. You know, you know, you can either sell them at that price and take yeah. your loss, or, or just keep them and hope that is there's some court case going trying to get the license back. I think, but I, yeah, I, 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 I don't like their chances. Yeah. There. No, I believe it's been squashed. The um, the government heard their appeal and they just went, no, nothing's going to change. <laughs> right, so, so, so that's right. So you can either sell the shares and take the loss or hold on and, um, and hold on and hope something happens to the company that improves the position. Yeah, it's good to have a choice. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for your call, Michael. Okay. Okay, let's take a look at investing overseas as opposed to investing here. We've talked about America We talked about United America, States. yeah. Well, that was it's direct equities. We wouldn't, we wouldn't really recommend that. Um, yeah. so, so some of the benefits of investing overseas is you get access to different companies that, that, that um, aren't um, available in Australia. Um, you take... Um, advantage of uh, different economic conditions and the economic cycles don't usually move together and it kind of adds some um, additional diversification to your portfolio. So generally if a client comes to us and they're looking to have a balanced portfolio we'd recommend that you know, probably around 10% to be invested overseas as well. So is there, well, what, what's so much better about the, um, or is there something better about overseas markets? Well, overseas markets don't generally move directly in line with Australian markets. The overseas, the, for example, the US market's been going up um, and there's a number of funds around that, that, that in the last year have got returns of 20 plus percent. Now, you're not going to get them all the time. And the average equity funding return in Australia, I think, was probably 10%. Mm. Um, okay. But there are additional risks. There are additional risks. I mean, there's there's the currency risk. Um, you know, if the exchange rate moves against you. Um, we talked about earlier the exchange rate's fallen. So if you're investing overseas that's and the rate goes down, that, that automatically enhances the value of your overseas investment. But if the rate goes up, the value of overseas investment falls. Um, and, of course... We're talking about, we mentioned the US, but there are overseas opportunities to invest in um, some of the, the, the high growth economies. Um, such as the developing countries? Such that are the developing getting and moving. the undeveloped companies. Um, the risk, of course, there's different risks in those. I mean, there's the, the political risk that the government could change, and, you know, there was a Vietnam fund round, and there's a. Uh, China and India funds. Um, so the developing risk could change. Um, the economic economies could change, and of course the the, the whole government could change and try, change the whole regulatory environment. So so there is there is not um, 
there are additional risks. Um, and then sometimes it can take a while to, to, to sell your overseas investments. Mm. Okay, so, yes. So how are we going for time? Oh, well, we've still got a couple okay. more minutes. So some of the ways you can invest overseas, we'll just go quickly. You can invest directly. Um, as we said before, that can that can be difficult in some markets. Mm. Um, the way most people invest is through managed funds. Um, there's a number of very good managed funds that invest, invest, invest overseas um, and people can take advantage of that. You've got a professional manager. The fund's domiciled in Australia, which most of them are. You know the tax position and 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 and, and it's pretty straightforward. Um, and then, of course, the new thing that people are looking at is exchange-traded funds. Now, they, they, they're traded on the ASX. They're similar to a managed fund. Um, what you need to watch on those is some of those are actually uh, US funds and the tax position can become quite complex. So if, if, you, if you want a simple solution, the first thing I'd ask is where's the fund, where, if you're going to use an ETF, where's the fund domicile? And you want, for simplicity, to go to the Australian domicile fund because then you don't have to fill in those WBEN forms. WBEN, yeah, what does that mean? US Internal Revenue, I don't know what it oh, means, right. but no one seems to know how to fill the forms in and then you ring up the hotline and they say they can't give it. They, they give you this number and say, if you need help ring this, and you ring them up and they say, oh, we can't give you any help. Right, so, so avoid I, I'd avoid the exchange traded funds that are that are domiciled overseas and look yeah. for the Australian. Um, most of them have got most of the exchange traded funds have got more than one company issuing them. Um, so there's more than one company that will allow you to invest in the US. Just just look at which one that's that, that's easier to administer. Um, and that's probably the easiest way the ETFs because you can just buy and sell them like shares. What does ETF actually I mean, It stands for exchange-traded exchange funds, fund. but it's what does it actually mean? In simple terms, it's a managed fund that, yeah. that's listed on the stock exchange. Okay. Um, there we go. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, I mean, people have invested in um, offshore in, in, in um, the US, um, particularly the last two years, have done, done very well. Um, you know, the exchange rates moved the right way. It's fallen, and the U.S. market's gone up faster than the Australian market. So, so they've done quite well. Now, now whether that continues or not, um, who the crystal knows? ball comes um, up. So, as I said, you, you, you know, you you wouldn't tend to invest, or we wouldn't recommend. We'd invest a, a small part of your portfolio overseas, but not a yes, yeah, so, not a lot. Yeah, and preferably not do it yourself. <laughs> Uh, we wouldn't recommend direct investment. I mean, we've got this person we spoke to earlier. Yeah, dealing in US stocks is very mm. difficult. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he's not in a happy position there, no, is he? Where no, it's he all happened against the company. Well. Yeah. yeah, what a good idea. So that, okay. that brings Thursday Finance to an end today. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. That's right. And um, we will, of course, be back next Thursday to NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.